I, I, I have this, this in my heart that, that God has something specific for us this morning that he would actually relight this flame that once burned bright within us. So this morning, yes, it is to equip us, to, to help us in our walk with God, but I also believe it's a prayer this morning, a prayer for us as believers that God would relight the flame in our hearts to increase this hunger and passion within us for him. We just sang that beautiful song, Hymn of Heaven. How we long to breathe the air of heaven. Yes, we do, but at the same time, there's still stuff to be done here, and he's the same God in heaven as he is here on earth. So can he relight the flame with us this morning that we're not trying to get caught up with what's to come, but actually we can, we can spend time in the glory of his presence this morning as well. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Acts 2? We're going to read the first 12 verses together this morning. And I'm going to read, be reading from the NLT. And it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where, we were, where, where they were sitting. Then what, what were, looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them his, this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud no noise, they, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya that, that are around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, and we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. What can this mean? And this, this verse, these verses we, we read, we, we take time, a specific Sunday, and in each year to celebrate the day of Pentecost. But for me, as I read these passages, it's so much more than just this one day a year sort of affair. It's more than just this one time a year where we, we take the time intentionally to celebrate it. It's one of these passages for me personally that it, it just excites me a wee bit. It gets me ready and, and, and want more of God. As Pentecostals, I don't know if you're aware of that, but we are Pentecostal. We're part of the Elam Pentecostal Church. And actually, we, 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 this passage has been such a massive part of the Pentecostal movement over the last 100 years. A, a, a passage where we see the Holy Spirit fall on the believers just after Jesus ascended to heaven. It's so important for us as believers, this passage, not only does it speak to us of a promise that God fulfilled and, and build our faith that way, but it speaks to us practically and deeply as believers as well. The Spirit was poured out on all believers that day. They were baptized, fully saturated in the Spirit of God, and empowered them to carry out the commission of Christ. The day of Pentecost, it was a feast held 50 days after Passover. It celebrated the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And in the rituals of the Jewish um, faith at that time, it, it, what would have happened was the first sheaf reaped from the wheat harvest um, was presented to God. And that's why the Pentecost is called the day of first fruits. 
which is very interesting. The day of first fruits was the day that God sent his Holy Spirit to fall on the believers. And we also see at the end of the Acts 2 that it was the first day that the church saw the first fruits as they began to minister here on earth without Jesus. Jewish tradition also saw that the day of Pentecost was believed to be the day that the law was given. And in the New Testament, after Jesus came, God sent the Holy Spirit to help guide and empower the church for his purpose and his plans. In Acts 2, it signifies a new age and a new way in how God will be meeting and dwelling with his people. It happened 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. 10 days after Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. This is when we see this passage take place. But what, what I find is important to note is actually that for me, when I re- used to read this passage, I used to think that this was actually the first time that these believers would have experienced the Holy Spirit. This was the first time that they would have encountered the, the Holy Spirit in that way, or this was their first experience of him. But I, I think it's important to note that it wasn't the first time the disciples encountered the Holy Spirit. They weren't strangers to the person or the workings of the Holy Spirit. And we see this within the Gospels, Luke 10, 1 to 20, the disciples experienced an empowering of the Holy Spirit as Jesus sent them out to serve. In John 14, 15 to 18, Jesus promises the advocate in the Holy Spirit. John 20, 19 to 23, the disciples received the Holy Spirit in a new way after Jesus' work on the cross. They weren't strangers to the Holy Spirit. He wasn't something new to them. It wasn't he wasn't something that was just a surprise them, but actually they would have seen Jesus with the Holy Spirit and work with the Holy Spirit. They would have had moments in their ministry where they had the Holy Spirit come upon them and empower them for the work that Jesus sent them out to do. And I think when we look at this passage, sometimes we could see it as the first moment that those in the upper room experienced the Holy Spirit. But as we saw in the Gospels, that they have already had an understanding of the Holy Spirit before this day. There wasn't a relationship there already. They didn't know how long they had to wait for. They could have thought it would have been straight after Jesus ascended, but they remained in that upper room for 10 days, consistent in prayer, united for one purpose and reason, and united in love and trust for God. Before we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must realize, like those in the upper room did, that they were empty and lost without God. They gathered in prayer. They gathered in obedience. The women and men in that room realized they didn't have the resources to do what God commissioned them to do without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our first point, is that obedience leads to encounter. And we see that very evidently in that passage, is that the obedience of the believers in the upper room helped lead to an encounter, the encounter they had with God. Jesus commands his disciples in Acts 1-4 to, to remain in Jerusalem until the Father sends the Holy Spirit. Like I said earlier on, they probably thought, I'll be all right, Jesus is the way to heaven. We'll go down here, 15 minutes, that'll do. It'll come then. 10 days they gathered in that room. 10 days they were together. And I've always wondered, because I'm a wee bit nosy and curious, that actually, I wonder what happened. Like, what did their prayer sound like? Was there actually someone who was like, hold on a minute, guys, this isn't happening. We've been here like five days. God still hasn't sent the Holy Spirit. Are we going to just call quits and leave? Are we, are we going to just leave it because this happened, hasn't happened? Were there doubts? But they stayed there in obedience to what Jesus asked them to do. And they remained there for 10 days. And I am sure 
there were moments when they had doubts. I'm sure there was moments where they didn't think it was going to happen. But the beauty of being together as, as a community of believers, they were able to get around each other and say, hold on a minute, Jesus promised this, and when has he let us down in the three years that we've journeyed with him? Jesus said this was going to happen, and, and, and when has he ever said something and it didn't happen? So let's stick in this together. Let's get through this together. They were united in prayer, and their obedience led to an encounter. But what we do know, we can have all this speculation about what happened, but we do know that they remained there. We do know that they were obedient, that they stayed in the upper room, and it led to an encounter. The disciples would have heard Jesus say in John 14, when he was promising the Holy Spirit to be their helper and their advocate, he says in verse 15, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, be obedient to my commands. It was their love for God that made their obedience so much easier. Those in the upper room had a deep love for God that, that would have made it easier for them to hear these words of Jesus and obey what he said. What is it in our hearts this morning that is causing us to be disobedient to God? Is there something God has called us to in our lives, but like Jonah, we are running away from that call? Is there something that you know God speaks against in his word, but yet we carry on being disobedient? Our obedience does lead to an encounter with God. The obedience of the women and men in the upper room helped them to be focused on God. Their obedience looked like surrender to God's will and not their own. We let go of our own agendas and our own plans and we surrender to God and we say, God, have your way. Your will be done just as those in the upper room did. Their obedience was against their plans went against their culture. We read that there was a Jewish festival going on at the time of Pentecost. They probably should have been there, but yet they waited in the upper room as Jesus told them to. They were obedient. They went against culture. They went against society, and they fully surrendered their plans and their ways to God. Acts 5.32 says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When we are obedient, it leads to an encounter with God. This verse tells us that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who are obedient. Those who are obedient to him alone. The obedience of those who, who waited led to an encounter. An encounter with God that changed the world, that changed their lives, that changed the course of history. And when we come to God with obedience, we can encounter him and it will change our lives. Obedience leads to encounter. Then encounter, which we come to in our second point, it leads to relationship. Encounter leads to relationship. And we can see this evidently in the life of the apostle Peter. He had this encounter in Acts 2, like everyone else in that upper room did. But just before that, we see Peter denies Jesus three times. Very publicly, very clearly, he denied the person who he journeyed with, what, probably his best friend at that time, someone who he was really close to, he denied him three times, but yet we see that he had an encounter with God, and this encounter then led him to have this relationship with him. After this encounter with the Holy Spirit, we see in Acts 2, 14 to 41, where Peter publicly and boldly gets up by the power of the Holy Spirit to the multitude of people and speaks and proclaims the name of Jesus, that name that he he denied three times just before. This took Peter on a journey where he began to be led by the Holy Spirit in what he did. 
as he spread the gospel, which we can follow throughout the book of Acts. Peter goes on this journey after this encounter, but he doesn't do it just alone with this encounter. He does it through relationship. It's through going back to God and time and time again that we see God move in Peter's life. After this, this encounter, Peter couldn't deny who Jesus was anymore. And because of the magnitude of this encounter, he surrendered his life and he was obedient and walked in relationship with God the rest of his days. If we are to say we are Jesus followers this morning, we have already had an encounter with God. We've already had a moment where God met with us, a moment in our salvation where we encountered the living Savior. Because of this incredible moment, when God lifted us up from the depths and raised us to be co-heirs in Christ, where he calls us his children due to his grace and his mercy he poured out on us, it should lead to a relationship with him. It should lead to relationship because God wants to be in relationship with you. We see that in Revelations 3.20 where Jesus says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus says he is standing at the door waiting to welcome us in, waiting for us to sit with him in relationship like we would with family or friends, to share a meal with him. And after an encounter with God, it should make us want to get to know him more. It should make us want to go deeper in relationship with him. And this can be seen in the life of the Apostle Peter. We see that Peter grows as a disciple of Jesus through relationship after the encounter he had, after the relationship he had with Jesus on earth. In the book of Acts, we see Peter's growth. He spends time healing the sick, praying and teaching. In Acts 10, 9, we see Peter takes time intentionally following the example of Jesus, removing himself from a crowd of people. And he goes up to the rooftop to spend time with God alone because his relationship with God was so important to him. The encounter in Acts 2 led to Peter to have a deeper relationship with God. How do we grow this relationship? It's like any other relationship. We, we spend time with the other person. I'm sure, I'm going to pick on them because of the anniversary today. I'm sure Jimmy and Thelma, I'm sure they didn't spend time not talking to each other over the last 40 years. I'm sure there was communication. There were moments where they took time to spend with one another, to learn about one another, and to grow with each other. We need to do the same with God. If we don't take the intentional time to communicate or spend time with him, we heard it from Pastor Michael last week about being intimate in prayer with God. If we don't do that, how can we grow this relationship? In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Go in private. It's great that we have these opportunities where we can pray together, where we can come together as the people of God, but it's in the private, in the intimate moments with God where our relationship grows deeper and grows stronger because we can hear him clear and we're doing it for ourselves and for him. It's like any relationship. You, if you do it in groups, there's only so much you can learn about them. There's only so, there's only so deep you can go with them, but actually... When you go and take time alone together, that's when you can ask the deeper questions. That's when you can ask the things that are on your hearts. That's when you can go to God with the things that are, are, you're struggling with because it's the private moments that builds the relationship. This is how we get to know God. 
Remember in Revelation, Jesus is saying he's standing at the door waiting. He's waiting for you to come to him, waiting for you to make that, that decision and that conscious and intentional effort to knock the door and say, God, come and speak with me. Come and spend time with me. And yes, we can see God comes in like he did in Acts 2. And he can come and meet us in those moments. And we can encounter him anew and afresh there. But the more I spend time with God, the more I build my own personal relationship with God, the moments I realize, actually, I haven't a clue. I, I know very little. Because I want to know more about him. I want to get to know him more because he's so great. The encounters and the moments that we have that I've had with God in my life, they've led to me wanting to know more of him because I've just tasted and seen that he's good. It's just a taste. I want the rest of the meal. It's like the wee tasters that you get if you go in the shops, like wee cracker and all. I want the rest of it every time I get it. I don't just want the wee bit of cheese. Like, I'm hungry. Give me the rest. It's the same with God. You can taste and get a sample of it in moments like this, but it's the deeper connections, the deeper relationship, the going in the private, that builds up that hunger that feeds you that takes you deeper with him and that brings us on to our third point that our relationship leads to hunger our relationship should lead to hunger we see this at the end of acts 2 where the believers formed a community a place where they learned more about god a place where they were hungry for more of god a place of hunger that came from the encounter they had from their obedience that saw them go into relationship with God because they were so hungry for more of him. And why wouldn't you be hungry for God after an encounter like that? Why wouldn't we be hungry for God after seeing where we once were in our lives and our sin and, and how he lifted us up from the miry clay? Why wouldn't we be hungry for more of God? Because of his goodness and his faithfulness. It's not like tasting a bit of a raisin. I don't like raisins, so I'm going to pick on them. Some of you might. It's not like when I eat a raisin. I don't want any more of that. But if you give me a steak, I'm going to want to finish it. It's the same with God. It's luxurious. It's beautiful. It's incredible. It's the love of God. We, want more. we should want more of that if we encounter him. The believers in the upper room, they tasted and saw that the Lord was good that morning. They had an experience in that moment, the goodness of God as they followed Jesus. They saw God's power and might. They were hungry for this promise that Jesus gave them in Acts 1-4. They were waiting for this blessing and then it came and then they wanted more. And we read that throughout the New Testament. They wanted more of God after this encounter. It wasn't just we have this encounter, we're now saved, great, that's it. It wasn't this moment where we had this encounter and, and yes, we went deep with God in this day, but we want more because it's not this. After an encounter, it's so, it's so easy for us to think that that is everything God has for us. It's so easy for us to, to think that surely that's all God has for me. There's no more, but that's not true at all. In Joel 2:28, God sends this promise and he will pour out his spirit on all flesh Every man, every woman, every tribe, every tongue, all the sin in the world, on all of our worldly flesh, God will pour out his spirit. And I don't know if you realized, he's still doing it today. There's people within this world who've never heard the gospel preached. They need the love of God poured out on them. There's, there's babies in wombs right now that God will pour out his spirit on because he says on all flesh, he's not done pouring out his blessings on us. He hasn't stopped and, his, and he never will. If you're waiting for a blessing or wondering where God is, where is your hunger this morning? 
Where is your desire to, to go to that door and knock to Jesus? Where is that hunger this morning? Our relationship with him should lead us to hunger. It should make us want more and more of, of God's love, power and blessing and peace. We see in 1 Peter 2, 2-3, to Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have, have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Apostle Peter wrote these words after his encounter, after his relationship, because he was hungry for more. He knew from his experience that he needed to cry out for this nourishment because he tasted a glimpse of the goodness and the mercy of God like newborn babies. If we look at this image Peter gives us, you don't have to tell a baby when it's hungry. It will let you know. It will cry and it will wail until it gets that milk. And as followers of Jesus, you shouldn't have to have someone to tell you that you need to be hungry. You shouldn't have to have someone speak from the front to say, you need to be, where's this hunger at? God should be enough. What God has done in our lives, what we've witnessed in our lives, what he's done for us, should be enough for us to cry out for this nourishment. Wayne Grudem writes, to drink the milk of the word is to taste again and again what he is like. For in the hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. To taste again and again what it is like. Not one moment, not one experience, not one encounter, but a hunger that comes from a relationship of constantly going to that door and knocking, Jesus, let me in. I need more of you. I want to spend more time with you. When we taste and see the Lord is good, we should want more. But sadly, I see time and time again the enemy using knowledge like this against us. It's easy to say it. I know it's easy to say it. But to live it in action is something else. We see it throughout history. The church, even in the Gospels with the Pharisees, that there's groups that have had this knowledge that they've had experiences one time before, but they've let their hunger go dry because they didn't have the relationship they didn't have the relationship that led to the hunger. Matthew 5, 6, and in the NIV it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger for God, thirst for God, who want more of God, for they will be filled. I'm going to ask the worship team to come just as we close. And sometimes we do. We get this perception that the story in Acts 2 is a one-off. We get this, this idea that this blessing happened and that was it. That was it. But actually what we see is that God moved before in the believers' lives with the disciples as they journeyed with Jesus, as they walked with him, but also after as well, as we saw already through the, the life of Peter. Jesus called them and promised them, and their obedience led to an encounter. An incredible encounter that changed the course of history and their lives. An encounter that led to a deeper desire and a want for a relationship with the living God. Who poured his blessing on them. Then that led to a hunger for more of him. Let God relight the flame within you this morning. Let's let God open our hearts for more. What things in our hearts are causing us to be disobedient? 
what is stopping us from encountering God. The things that are preventing you from hearing from God and seeing the things he is doing and wanting to do right in front of you. What are they? When was the last time you had an encounter with God? A moment that radically changed your life and your faith for the kingdom of God? When was the last time you knocked on that door? What does your relationship with God look like? Is it a one-off? Is it just a once a week or whenever you need him? Or are you continually knocking at the door to have that relationship with Abba Father? Are we hungry this morning? Or has that hunger gone? And I believe that there's something God is stirring within us over the last number of weeks as we've looked at deeper relationship, as we've looked at intimate prayer, for us to return to that intimate place with him, a personal relationship with him. And there's a deeper relationship God wants to have with us all. And there's more to this life with Jesus than church on a Sunday, ticking some boxes, doing what we're told is right. And that's Jesus. He's so much more than we could ever fathom or imagine. And he wants to meet with you daily. Open yourselves to an encounter with God. Obedience looks like surrender, which leads to encounter. Encounter leads to relationship, and relationship leads to hunger. This isn't a one and done moment. When we give our lives to God, the Holy Spirit we see in the scripture lives within us, dwells within us, because we're now the temples of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the temple a couple of weeks ago and how that was God's dwelling place. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But there's more. What Jesus promised the disciples that day was something that wasn't just the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within them. It was more. On the day of Pentecost, the followers of Jesus that day in the upper room were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a drenching. It was a saturation of the Spirit of God in their lives. It was a full immersion of the Spirit. But we see that this wasn't it. It wasn't just this moment and that was it. In Acts 4.8, we see Peter was filled again with the Holy Spirit that enabled him to speak to the elders and rulers. We also see in Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek pretense of this, be filled is a continuation that is better translated to constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is saying is don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Constantly filled. Time and time and time again. Not just the one moment that saw you saved. Not just that other moment that you had with God, but constantly coming to the door and knocking and saying, God, fill me up again. Because he wants to be in relationship with us. Let's, go, let's allow God to relight the flame in our lives. Allow our obedience, which looks like surrendering to God's will, to lead to an encounter with him. Allow our encounter to inspire and lead us to a relationship to get to know our incredible God more. Allow that relationship to lead you to want more and more of God to increase your hunger. I believe that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface on who God is. And that really excites me because we've been the church for over 2,000 years now. 
and we haven't even begun to scratch on what God has for us. We haven't been, been able to go deeper on what God has for us. And that excites me. We don't know a thing. And the more we spend time with God, we realize we don't know the fast, the f I don't even know the words, because of how incredible he is, how good he is to us. There's so much more. And we learn that and we find that through the obedience to go and have an encounter, through our relationship and through hunger to go back time and time and time again and be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit to allow him to help us, allow him to be our advocate and allow him to teach us new things. We get to learn more about God. We get the privilege and the honor to learn more about God. So let's allow that flame to burn bright once again so we can open to learn more and experience more about the great I am, about the Lord of Lords, about the King of Kings, about this God the Bible speaks of. I believe there's so many, so many things within the Bible that we know, that we can know about God, but to actually encounter and experience that God, to encounter Jehovah Jireh, to encounter El Shaddai, to encounter the names of God, the healer, the, the baptizer, the king, the, the Holy Spirit, the encounters, there's so much more. But we need to come back to this place at the start and find that relationship, to find that obedience within him.